Welcome back to Counting on Grace, Chapter 6, Doffing. Stand still, Grace. Delia sounds like Miss Leslie. Why is everybody always telling me the same thing? I'm not doing nothing wrong. Keep your smock away from that frame. You need to mind so you do this right. I already know what to do. You don't have to show me. We are shouting at each other even louder than you need to in the spinning room. She won't let me touch nothing. How am I supposed to know how to do it if you keep pushing me aside? By watching, she says, smacking my fingers when they get close. Listen to me. My mare runs six frames, 12 sides, 136 bobbins per side. That will keep your feet dancing, girl. We start them up, one after another, and each frame needs to be doffed at least once a shift. She nods up at a board placed on the far wall. That's the schedule, but my mare pays it no mind. She doffs when she's ready. I knew the frames were big. If you could take one of those frames home, it would stretch from our front door right through the kitchen, over the garden, to the outhouse, in the back corner of the yard. Twelve times 136 bobbins. I can't even count that high. But my hands are going to touch every one of them wooden babies. I don't know how many times a day. First, when they've got fat cotton bellies, and second, when they're skinny and naked. The thought of my little bobbin babies gets me to giggling, which makes Delia cuff my head. Why'd you do that? Grace, are you watching? I'm trying. All the time she's talking and the frame is still running, Delia is unhooking a long wooden roll and guiding it out from between the spinning yarns. Right now, I'm clearing the scavenger rolls of lint, but you won't be doing this, you hear, Grace? This is my mare's work, and you better not mess with it. She's only now making me do it because I'm practicing for my own frames. You better not mess with it. I repeat in that Delia voice that thinks it knows everything. I burst out laughing at the prissy-pinched look on her face. Grace! She spits her face up close to mine. Stop with your fooling right now! I stop. Delia feeds the wooden scavenger roll back in between the running ends. Everything is moving so fast that I can't make my eyes stay on the part they need to look at. All I know is if Delia moves that roll one little inch out of line, she'll slice through a bunch of ends and we'll have a mess on our hands. The waist in the pocket of her smock, I start up my little chant. Right for waist, left for lint. I need to keep that straight. Doff number one, my mare yells. We run. My mare lowers the ring rails with her foot pedal and throws the shipper handle on the top so the whole frame shuts down. Delia scoops up four empty bobbins from the cart, pressed against her hip. I can barely follow the movements as she lifts the full bobbin off with her left hand, drops it in the box on the top of the dolly, and lowers the empty bobbin over the spindle with her right hand. Her eyes seem to guide her to the tip of each spindle. Her hands move as quick and regular as the machines. Step to the left, bump the bobbin dolly, lift, drop, 
lift, drop, lift, drop, three more done. And all the time, Amara's watching her other frames, but you can feel her waiting to start this one up again. I take three empty bobbins from the box to practice holding them in one hand, but they slip away from me. Two hit the floor. I wipe them off with the, br- the bottom edge of my smock. Your hands aren't big enough yet, Grace, Delia calls to me without shifting her eyes off the frame. Start with one bobbin at a time. It takes practice. Hold the empty one with your right hand because we're moving to the left. Doff with your left, replace with your right. You don't want your hands crossing one over the other. It will slow you up too much. I try doing what she says, but my right hand feels lumpy and useless. I always do everything with my left hand. Mamere says that left-handed people are touched by the lucky stick. But I don't feel lucky right now when I've got to learn this big bumbling right hand to hold the empty bobbins. At the end of the frame, Delia dumps her waist. Then we turn the corner and come back down the other side, another 136 bobbins. Ready, Mamere calls. Her voice sounds peevish. She has already reset the builder, that green metal wheel in the corner of the frame. She has to crouch down to do it, which is why the hem of her skirt is always black with the oil from the floor. Almost, Delia calls back, and she speeds up, so her hands are flying through the air like birds. Last bobbin slides down over its spindle. She nods to my mother, who throws the shipper handle to start the frame up again. All the ends are slack now, Delia says into my ear. Watch while she jogs the rail. Mamere taps the foot pedal once. Two times. Three. That gets the snarls out. Now pray all the ends are up. The frame starts its whirring, spinning, working again, and I start breathing too, even though I didn't know I'd stopped. On our way down the row, Delia pulls up suddenly to twist together two broken ends. I run smack bang into the back of her so hard, I almost knock us both over. She spits out my name as if it's a bad taste and I scrabble away to give her room. From down the room, Mamere calls, Doff number two, and Delia's hands start flying again, and I'm watching so hard that my eyes could burn holes in the thread. By midday break, my entire body is vibrating from trying to learn everything at once. The women gather in one corner of the spinning room to eat with us doffers, passing in and out of their circle. It feels like I've got to clear the lint out of my throat before my dinner can make its way down, so I stand to the side, hawking and spitting into the handkerchief. Soon, my mouth burns raw from working so hard. Don't bother, Dougie's older sister Bridget tells me. Your food will taste like the cotton no matter what you do. I settle myself near Arthur. I can't tell which is shaking harder, my body or the floor we're sitting on. In the weave room above our heads, the 700 looms with their slapping shuttles march along in regular time, just like an army on the move. Up there, they take their break in shifts, so the looms never shut down. You're reading the book about the soldier boy? I ask Arthur. Bridget shoves him with her elbow. Girl spoke to you, she teases. Best not talk to her, Arthur says in a loud voice so everybody can hear. 
That Grace is a tattler. She's dangerous to have around. I am not, I say, but he don't speak again. He's got his book in one hand and his cold sausage in the other. When I lean way over to see the name of the book, he buries it deep in his lap. I get up and move away. Bet it is the one about the soldier boy. Bet Miss Leslie didn't make him give it back. I wonder what book Thomas and Norma and Rose and the rest are reading in school today. It must take them a whole day to get through a page without the two best readers gone. Suddenly, I miss the feeling of all of us in that room together with little kids droning away in the front rows and the sun sliding in the open windows and the cough and grumble of the river running over the rocks down at the bottom of the hill. Here, with the dirty streaked windows shut tight, it seems like the school and French Hill and Pepe and Henry all disappeared. It gives me a queer, lost feeling. I jump up. Let's play a game, I say. The others are waiting for me to start something, so I hop over to a long, skinny pipe lying in the corner. Follow the leader, I call, and with my hands out for balance, I walk the length of it, my bare feet curling around the cool metal. Nobody moves. Come on, I shout, and do it again, quicker this time. Two of the boys follow, and then Bridget tries and slips off twice. Take off your shoes, it's easier, I tell her. By the time she's got it right, I've gathered up a pile of waste and packed it into a greasy lint ball. I toss it Arthur's way, but he just pulls to the left, so it floats by. Hubert, a bobbin boy, picks it up and tosses it back at me. Now all the kids are scavenging for the biggest lint balls and rolling them in the grease. We're having a great cotton ball fight when Ma Mare hoists herself up on the high windowsill and calls, Grace, enough nonsense, and we have to stop. Sitting up there, Ma Mare looks like the queen of the spinning room. She tells Mrs. Sané what to do about her ailing baby and asks Mrs. Cordeaux when Norma will be coming in. You can tell from the way she says it that she thinks Norma should have started in the mill a long time ago. Big girl like that. Grace is going to be a quick learner, just like my Delia, she says to nobody in particular. I keep my head down. I'm practicing picking up and dropping a bobbin with my right hand. I might as well be trying to lift it with my teeth. What is wrong with that hand? Sing us a song, Adeline, calls Mrs. Trottier. I'm surprised to hear her speak out. She's normally so quiet and frightened looking, but I know she loves music. On Sundays, she plays the little organ. The congressional church passed on to us Franco's when they got the money to buy a new one. Imagine having a brand new organ or a church that ain't just a room above a store, but a real church with a bell that rings as loud as the mill bell. Père Alain says Ma Mère has a voice like an angel. He always puts her right up front at church to lead us in the singing of the Kyrie and the Agnes Dei. Give us le grand demi, says Miss Sene. Yes, Ma Mère, I cry. It's my favorite because the beat is so strong it gets everybody's feet to dancing. Par dernier chez mon père, il y a un pommier doux. She starts. Behind my father's house, there is a sweet apple tree. 
Her clear, cool voice rises up to the rafters like a bird let loose. Mrs. Trottier starts the clapping, and Delia clacks two empty bobbins together to help her keep time. Soon enough, everybody joins in the singing, following Ma Mère's lead. I grab Bridget, and we turn in a circle, our arms linked. You can't hear the beat coming from my bare feet, but Bridget stamping her shoes in time to Ma Mère's voice. The faster she sings, the faster we dance. I'm so happy all of a sudden. Here I am in the mill with my mother and sister, and I'm part of the grown-up life. They've been living every day without me. I'm so lost in my dancing, I don't hear the commotion until Bridget yanks my arm and I finally go still. The trouble is coming from Arthur's corner. Boy must be deaf. He ain't moved the whole time my mare was singing. Give it to me, boy says Mr. Wilson. You know the rules about reading in the mill. John, he shouts. His voice flies across the room. Get over here. Arthur is holding onto his book as if it's his own arm, and Mr. Wilson is trying to snatch it away from him. French Johnny comes striding down the aisle between two frames. Uh Uh-oh, here's trouble. French Johnny made a deal with Arthur that he could read long as he didn't let the overseer catch him. This boy is reading, roars Mr. Wilson at French Johnny, as if he thinks Arthur just murdered someone. It's against the rules. If you can't keep order in the spinning room, we'll have to find somebody else to take your place. Mamera is watching with the smirk playing around her mouth. We all know Mr. Wilson don't have nobody else for second hand but he throws this up in French Johnny's face often as he can. Take that book away from the boy, he demands. Donnez-le-moi, French Johnny says in a low voice. He only uses our language when he really needs us to go along with him. It's a kind of signal. If Arthur gives the book up easily, there's a chance he might get it back. But if he makes French Johnny look silly in front of the overseer, then he'll never see that book again or no other for that matter, and he won't be able to sit down on his backside no time soon either. Arthur hands the book over. The boy needs to learn to speak English, says Mr. Wilson. He can read it well enough, says French Johnny, holding up the book. I jump up to see. The red badge of courage. I was right. Delia pulls me down again. You don't want the overseer picking you out of the crowd. Mr. Wilson ain't sure what to say to that, so he stomps off without another word. French Johnny gives us all a look, and his eyes come to rest on my mother. They seem to talk to each other through the air, without speaking out loud. Cleaning time, says my mare, pushing herself off the windowsill, and we get back to work.